This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Jesus said to the disciples, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Jesus is about to die. The setting is Jerusalem just a week before the crucifixion. And Jesus has gathered his small group of followers to tell them a few final stories about how they should think about his impending departure and what they have been given to do in his absence. It's as if a man went away on a journey, Jesus says. And because he is leaving, the man entrusts to his servants all that he has giving them an enormous treasure, each according to his abilities. Then the man goes away, and each servant is faced with one daunting question. What am I going to do with this precious treasure I have been given to care for? The parable then offers us some options 
as we watch its three characters grapple with this momentous question. The first servant takes what he has been given, takes a risk, invests it, and its blessing multiplies. Servant two does the same thing with the same result. The third servant, however, is afraid. He doesn't want to take any risks. More than that, he apparently doesn't even want the world to know about the treasure he has been given, and so he buries it. The master returns home. His servants report. Servant number one tells him what happened, and his master says, congratulations, well done. You've been trustworthy in a few things, and I'm going to put you in charge of many things. And the same exchange is repeated for servant number two. Then servant three comes and reports. Nervously, he pulls out his one talent. Here it is, sir, exactly what you gave me. I've kept it hidden while you were gone so it wouldn't be stolen. As a consequence, the third servant is treated about as harshly as anybody is in the Bible. He's stripped of all his possessions, kicked out, and his money is added to the account of servant number one. There are lots of ways to interpret this slippery parable of Jesus. There always are. At the end of the day, though, I am convinced it is ultimately about responsibility. Let me see if I can explain what I mean. The late Jonathan Sachs was, until his death, the chief rabbi of Great Britain and one of the most thoughtful theologians of the last several decades. In his book, The Dignity of Difference, How to Avoid the Clash of Civilizations, Rabbi Sachs contends that the idea of personal responsibility is common and, and central as a theological value to all three Abrahamic faiths, to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Indeed, it is right there on the first page of the Bible when God says, quote, let us make humankind in our image and let them have charge over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle and wild animals, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. You see, from the very beginning, the God of our Bible gives humanity the privilege of responsibility over what God has created. This biblical notion, Sachs argues, was a radical departure from the ancient world in which the gods of mythology controlled everything, nature, history, human fertility, warfare. Human beings merely played out the script the gods had written. Against all that, however, the Bible makes the stunning assertion that God freely shares responsibility over creation with humanity with those frail, finite, yet beautiful creatures God has created in his image. We know, of course, that on the second page of the Bible, things quickly go south. It turns out that humanity is not quite ready for the heady gift of responsibility. Rather than being faithful stewards of what they have been given, humanity goes its own way. 
sin enters the story. The snake persuades Eve to eat forbidden fruit. Eve persuades Adam. When God catches up with him and demands accountability, Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the snake. No one accepts responsibility. Subsequent generations of humanity, the Bible tells us, fare not much better. God keeps trying to liberate humanity from their irresponsible ways, leading them out of captivity, giving them the law to help them live responsibly, and then sending one prophet after another after another to call them back to responsible lives. But humanity keeps failing. And so finally, God sends them his son, who teaches them, feeds them, heals them, encourages them, blesses them. And then right before he dies for them, the son tells his followers this little parable, effectively asking, when I do leave, what will you do with the treasure I have shared with you? Can you receive this from me? accept it, trust it, and make good and responsible use of it. In the parable, Jesus uses the symbol of a talent, talenton in the Greek, to represent the precious gift the master leaves the servants. A talenton was literally a unit of weight of about 80 pounds that when used for silver or other precious metals, amounted to a decade or more of annual wages for the ordinary worker. To receive a talent, just one, was in short tantamount to winning the lottery. But the talents in the parable obviously represent something more than money. To my mind, Jesus is talking about a different sort of treasure, the treasure, perhaps, of his sacrificial life of love and grace, the treasure of the gospel. Remember, he is addressing a group of people about to face the most dangerous and decisive week of their lives. In a few days, Jesus will be arrested, tried, and executed. He has been their leader. Soon they will be on their own. Jesus is preparing them to be the custodians of the fragile and sacred enterprise he has started, this new thing, this quietly transforming kingdom of compassion, mercy, reconciliation, justice, and peace. The question posed by the parable then is just this. Are the disciples now ready to be faithful and responsible stewards of this gift, of this new way of being in the world, of this abundant life that Jesus offers? Some of you, I'm guessing, being good Lutherans, may be wondering whether all this talk about responsibility has a whiff of works righteousness about it. Surely our salvation does not depend upon how wisely we invest what we've been given or how hard we work at stewarding our talents. I don't think that is what Jesus is getting at. I think it's a little more subtle than that. In the parable, remember, 
It is the master's generosity in sharing his precious treasure that brings his servants into the joy of his household, a treasure that he willingly shares with everyone. The only question is whether his servants receive and care for the treasure, trusting in its abundant possibilities, or, on the other hand, whether they receive it in fear doubting its potential to generate greater blessing and decide to hide it from the world rather than sharing it. Stated differently, it is the faith of servants one and two that saved them, and the lack of faith of servant three that dooms him. That said, responsibility is still expected of all of us. For even if it is faith in God's grace that saves us, that truth doesn't excuse us from being God's responsible agents in the world, faithful agents of transformation, agents eager to multiply God's blessings and graces upon a hurting world, rather than hiding our faith behind church walls. The great Lutheran martyr and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it best, as he often does. Having been imprisoned and sentenced to die by the Nazis for his resistance efforts, Bonhoeffer wrote this in his journal from prison, quote, if we want to be Christians, we must show something of Christ's breadth of sympathy by acting responsibly toward others, by grasping our hour by facing danger like the free men and women we are, by displaying a real sympathy which springs not from fear, but from the liberating and redeeming love of Christ for all who suffer. To look upon the suffering without lifting a helping hand is entirely unchristian. The Christian should not wait until he or she becomes the victim the sufferings of our fellow brothers and sisters, for whom Christ also died, should be enough to awaken our sympathy and call us to responsible action, end quote. Faith, when it matures, leads to a life of responsibility to and for others. to return to Genesis. After Cain murders his brother Abel in chapter 4, God confronts Cain, asking him, so where's your brother Abel? If you remember, Cain dissembles. I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? The entire remainder of the Bible, Rabbi Sachs argues, is one long answer to Cain's question. And the answer is yes, we are our brothers and our sisters' keepers. In the end, I suspect that Jesus told the parable of the talents for those of us who, like the third servant, are a little bit afraid of taking the risk of responsible action, 
of stepping into the uncertain fray of a messy and violent world, of being our brothers and sisters' keepers. We sometimes prefer to play it safe, secretly believing that maybe we can find security apart from following Jesus and taking up our cross on behalf of the gospel. And what the parable teaches in no uncertain terms is that this way lies folly. On the other hand, if we but trust in the precious treasure we have been given and let it do its work in our hearts and hands, we soon realize that we have in fact been freed by Christ to live and love without holding back. Through the power of the gospel's great gift, we can serve without fear and without concern for our own security, knowing that through us, God will multiply his graces and blessings upon our broken world if we only but let him. And then, at the last, when the son returns from his long journey, we can rest in the assurance that he will welcome us and all his faithful followers into the joy of his everlasting company. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.